0: 1 Kings chapter 11, and today's title is, God Knows Us, So Listen Up. (laughs) God Knows Us, So Listen Up When He Talks to Us. And I want to say this to you, and if you're listening on the podcast, I want you to to turn it up for a second. And if you're watching this on the YouTubes, I want you to look at me in the eyes. Okay, listen, God knows you. So when He says for you to do something, it's for your good. So listen up. And I'm saying that to myself as well because we all struggle with it from time to time. But we're going to see this happen in the wisest man to ever live, other than Jesus. And so if Solomon be on that struggle bus... You and I are going to drive that struggle bus from time to time, okay we'll get into that in just a moment, but before we do that as always, if you like what we're doing here, make sure you like, share and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are so close to breaking that 1000 barrier, which is the goal we set for ourselves back a couple of months ago. So if you don't have uh, if you don't mind, take just a moment and right below this video on the right hand side is a subscribe button. It's completely for free, but it helps our channel as we grow and get discovered. so make sure you do that. Also, I want to say to someone on the YouTube channel this past week they said, Thank you so much that this has become a community for them where they're able to read God's word every day. Can I tell you, first of all, thank you so very much for joining us. However, please never let anything you do online take the place of an in-person community if you can at all help it, okay? But I do love that and I love that we get to read God's Word together. If you're listening on the podcast, once again, as always, you are my favorite, mainly to aggravate the YouTube listeners. (laughs) But thank you so much. Please leave us a five-star review. It really does help us get discovered on the different search algorithms because, man, I want us to be able to read God's Word with as many people as we can. And as always, where we gather together at the Facebook group, Bible Breakdown Discussion. There's an amazing team of people who are posting every single day, and they are helping us learn. The more we dig, the more we find. And we're going to need it, okay? Because as we said when we first started all of this, the overall theme of 1 Kings could very well be your history tells a story, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And the reason for that is because God is always there, and he's always making a new future for all of us. Now, up until this point, from the first 10 chapters of 1 Kings... You might have been saying, Pastor Brandon, I don't know what's wrong with you. This is a pretty good history, right? This, this, is, this is a wonderful story. I mean, there's all this amazing stuff, and there's plenty of money flowing and all this. Well, the thing is, is we can't just live our life based on the good days and think that that's our story. Because the bad days are also part of the story that God is telling. And it all goes together in the story that God is telling. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to open up with me to 1 Kings chapter 11, of the New Living Translation. We're going to read this together because here's the thing is when we think of our life as only the good days, we're really selling ourselves short because it wasn't just those days that made us who we are today. It's also when we survived and even found ways to thrive during the difficult days. And that's why I love that the Bible includes the difficult seasons as well. I love that the Bible continually shows us how God is able to make his story through the inconsistencies and the difficulties we go through, because we're going to start to see that with King Solomon today. And this is one of the things, too, that we have to remember as we get into some of the more negative things in the Israel story is, remember when this was written. This was written as the nation of Israel is grappling with how they were ever conquered, God had told them they were going to have a, a kingdom that no nation on the earth could stand against and all this was going to happen. And they're really grappling with, if that's true, then what happened? Is God not faithful? Does it, Is his word not right? And so they are writing the story of what happened and what they're writing about is, no, God was faithful. We didn't live up to our end because over and over again, God would say, I got all this great stuff I want to do if <laughs> a conditional statement, if you will follow me and he's and God's Word is going to start to show us how we started going a downward track. The other thing I want to tell you as we get ready to get into this is you also have to understand how the Holy Spirit teaches us in His Word. In the New Testament, if I can say it one way, it's easier. And what I mean by that is as the Holy Spirit is inspiring the Apostle Paul uh, to write things down and as God uh, inspired the, the, the authors of the Gospels to write down the words of Jesus... Many times Jesus would say, don't lust in your heart. Uh, How about you stay away from that? Don't do that. Do this. Do that. And so really, it just becomes, yes, sir, I got this. And he tells us a lot of what to do. The primary way that the Holy Spirit teaches us through the uh, the Old Testament is through story. And so it, it will tell us a story, and then out of that story, we learn from what to do and not to do based on watching people's lives. And so there's a whole lot we can take away from stories. That's one of the reasons why Jesus would teach through parables, is when you just tell someone, hey, go here, don't go there, well, that's pretty binary, right? Like, there you go, go do that. But when you tell a story, there's not just the bottom line you can learn from, but also the nuances and the subtle things of the story you can learn from as well. And so what would happen is, is instead of God saying, you know, in the New Testament, God would say, don't cross the street, that's it, just don't cross the street. Well, in the Old Testament, what would happen is God would tell a story of a guy who once tried to cross the street and he got hit by a car and died. (laughs) And so the lesson is the same. Don't cross the street. (laughs) But in the New Testament, he just says that. The Old Testament, he tells you why you don't want to cross that street. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Kings chapter 11 and just pick up on some of the subtle lessons that the Holy Spirit is teaching us. Through this text. You ready? Here we go as the downward spiral begins. 1 Kings 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Now, pause. If you have got a paper Bible in front of you, I want you to underline that word many. (laughs) Underline it and highlight it because that might be one of the most understated statements in the entire Bible. And here's why. Here we go. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and among the Hittites, which by the way, he wasn't supposed to do. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to other gods. Yet Solomon insists, insisting on loving them anyway. And this is the thing. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. You don't know what a concubine is. It's basically the modern day equivalent of a mistress. 300 concubines. And in that, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. So already we've got a lesson here. First of all, what's that fool doing? (laughs) Marrying all them women. Hey, listen, I love my wife. I can only handle one. I can't imagine uh, 900 people in my life. Now, Let's also provide some context, okay? Many times when kings and queens would get married, it was very seldom for love. They would get married for basically binding contracts. If you wanted to ensure that your kingdom would be protected, you would try to marry the two kingdoms together. That way you now have a collected interest. So it's entirely possible that out of these 700 wives a vast majority of them were really you know, married in name only, maybe even possibly to the point they didn't actually move to Jerusalem. They likely could have even lived still in their own country, but by a contract of sorts, they were technically married to Solomon. Now, the concubines, a whole different story. And God said, don't do it. And then he tells you why. Because as they did, the Bible says this in verse 4. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done So three things on that and we'll move forward. First of all, what was Astaroth? Astaroth was a goddess, but also a goddess of fertility. And so uh, very much around her uh, quote unquote worship of this false god had a lot to do with perversion and sexuality. And one of the reasons why God said no to this, first of all, it's a false god. Second of all, it perverted the institution of marriage because it would be temple prostitutes where you could go and take part in that as part of the temple goddess false god worship. Second one that really breaks my heart is Molech. Molech was a false god of the area of Palestine, and Molech was a god that you worshipped by sacrificing children. And you look at a lot of the different history behind this, and one of the things that they would do in order to sacrifice to this this false god Molech is they would construct a metal, uh, it looked like a cow, like a bull, And they would have and the inside of it would be be empty, and it would really create kind of this oven. You'd have a fire under it and be an oven. And what they would do is, is they would pass babies through the oven and basically burn them to death. And what they would say they would do is they would beat the drums really, really loudly in order to drown out the screaming of the babies as they died. This was a false god that Solomon began to worship because of the influence of these foreign women into his life. So it's heartbreaking. Here's the third thing. David had a problem with lust, didn't he? He ended up having sexual relations with Bathsheba and got in all kinds of trouble. Somehow in there, because David did not cut that off in his life, he passed on this weakness to Solomon. And so one of the things you have to always be careful about when you give your life to Christ is to, first of all, repent of your sin and then renounce that sin in your life and do, be very careful to teach the proper values to the next generation Or so many times people, you know, when our our kids are going to do what they see, not do what you say. And so I wonder if one of the reasons why Solomon struggled with this is because David did not cut off that soul tie and that generational curse in his life. And so it passed on to the next generation. Here we go. Verse seven. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Kermash, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, and who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So, the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son, and even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. Then, The Lord raised up Hadad, uh, the Idiomite, a member of Edom's royal family, to be Solomon's adversary. Years before, David had defeated Edom. Joab, his army commander, had stayed to bury some of the Israelite soldiers who had died in the battle. And while there, they killed every male in Edom. Joab and the army of Israel had stayed there for six months, killing them. But Hadad had a few of his father's royal officials. They escaped and headed for Egypt. Hadad was just a boy at the time. They sent out from Midian and went to Paran, where they joined, where others joined them. Then they traveled to Egypt and went to Pharaoh, who gave them a home, food, and some land. Pharaoh grew very fond of Hadad and gave him his wife's sister in marriage, the sister of Queen Tafinis. She bore him a son named Gethubath. Dafinies raised him in Pharaoh's palace among Pharaoh's own sons. And when the news reached Hadad in Egypt that David and his commander Joab were both dead, he said to Pharaoh, "Let me return to my country, to my own country." "Why," Pharaoh asked him, "what do you like here that makes you want to go home?" "Nothing," he replied, "but even so, please, let me return home." God also raised up Rezon, son of Elida, as Solomon's adversary. Rezan had fled from his master, King Hadadezer, from Zoab, and he had become the leader of a gang of rebels. After David conquered Hadadezer, Rezan and his men fled to Damascus, where he became king. Rezan was Israel's bitter adversary for the rest of Solomon's reign, and he made trouble just as Hadad had done. Rezan hated Israel intensely and continued to reign in Haram. So, as you can see, Because of all of this, God stopped all of, had been stopping all these people from getting any kind of access or foothold in the kingdom. But Because of the sin, God has started to remove his hand of protection and allowing the enemy to start gaining these different footholds. But then this happens in verse 26. Another rebel leader named Jeroboam, son of Nebat, one of Solomon's own officials, came from the town of Zerudiah in Ephraim, and his mother was Zeruah, a widow. There is the story. Here is the story behind his rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding the support terraces and repairing the walls of the city of his father David, and Jeroboam was very capable as a young man. And when Solomon saw how in- industrious he was, he put him in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of jo- Joseph. One day, as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, Ahijah, excuse me, from Shiloh met him along the way. Ahajah was wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in the field, and Ahajah took hold of his new cloak, where he was, what he was wearing, and tore it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, "'Take ten of these pieces, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says.'" I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and give ten of the tribes to you. But I will leave him one tribe from the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped Astaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Kermash, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways. And done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as David his father did. But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time. For the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees, I will keep Solomon as leader for the rest of his life. But I will take the kingdom away from his son and give ten of the tribes to you. His son will have one tribe so that descendants of David, my servant, will continue to reign, shining like a lamp in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be the place for my name. I will place you on the throne of Israel and you will rule all that your heart desires. If you listen to what I tell you and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. Because of Solomon's sin, I will punish the descendants of David, though not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he fled to King Shishak of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. Now here's the rest of it. The rest of the events of Solomon's reign, including all of his deeds and wisdom, were recorded in the book of the Acts of Solomon. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem and over all of Israel for 40 years. When he died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father, and his son Rehoboam became the next king. Now, a couple of things, and we'll be done for today. First of all, notice how God offered Jeroboam the same deal he'd been offering everybody else. You serve me, and I will bless you. But, as we're going to see later, that is not at all what Jeroboam has planned. The second thing is, if you notice at the very end, it says the rest of the Acts of Solomon are listed in the books of the Acts of Solomon. Unfortunately, that one, along with a few other different books that are mentioned in the Old Testament, have not survived until today. So we actually don't know. There's a lot of legends surrounding some of the great things that Solomon did, but we don't actually know. Now, I will tell you, I want to make sure as we get ready to end our time together, I don't want to leave Solomon in this horrible place. Because that's kind of the last thing that the book of First Kings really says about Solomon. But what we also know about him, especially if you read the book of Ecclesiastes that was also written by Solomon, we, we know that by the end of his life, Solomon does come back to the Lord. So he doesn't stay in that horrible place. But for a season, he does go the wrong way. And as you will read in the future, the, the, the results are just absolutely disastrous. And so here's my question for you. God knows us, but why don't we listen? God knows us, but why do we struggle to listen? That's a question I can't answer for you. Solomon got to see God twice. Notice it said that in that chapter that he saw God face-to-face in some kind of fashion. Not not face-to-face, full glory, God says we can't handle that. But in some kind of way, he saw him twice. But yet he turned on God slowly Because of these temptations of these foreign women. I don't know why we do, but we do. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever read something in God's word and you were like, ah, that sounds good. I don't really want to do that. If you have, that makes you human. (laughs) That's something we've all done. But to think about it for a moment, when God's word says, hey, I need you to stay away from that. I need you to walk toward this. I need you to forgive others. I need you to not whatever. To realize it's because God knows us that he says these things. And I want to ask you this question as we get ready uh, to end our time. God knows us. Why, are, why do we not listen? So closer, God knows you. What are you trying not to listen to today? Has God been putting it on your heart? It, it's time to let go of something. Maybe. You overindulge in something. There's not a balance in your life. It's calling the shots, not you. And maybe God's been convicting you in your heart. It's time to put some some healthy boundaries there. Maybe it's time to stop talking to that person. That person's not your spouse. And it's gotten beyond a little bit further beyond a friendship than it should. It's still innocent, but it's becoming less innocent every day. And maybe the Holy Spirit is starting to convict you. What are you not wanting to listen to? Maybe he's telling you you it's time to forgive. It's time to resolve that conflict. It's time to take a step of faith. What is it that God's telling you to do? And why are you struggling to listen? My prayer for you today is that no matter how terrifying it might be, no matter how hard it might be, that you'll take a step of faith today and watch what the Lord does. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you are with us. You're for us. You see us. You love us enough to lead us in the right direction. I pray today, God, that for everyone who is listening to this, Lord, as you are convicting us, you're encouraging us, you're challenging us, I pray that we will listen to what you're trying to say. Because we know, God, that you are for us. And whatever it is you tell us to do, first of all, you'll silence the voice of the adversary in Jesus' name. And you will enlighten our hearts to know when it's your voice that's speaking to us. And when we hear your voice, let us run to you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God's word says from Elijah in first Kings chapter 18, how long, how much longer will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. God is God. Then it's time to follow him and to listen to what he says. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow for first Kings chapter 12.